Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey people, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and it's another one of our listener Q&A's. A mailbag episode is what we call it in the podcasting world. We'll be uh, filling up the show with some of your fantastic questions. You've been sending them in uh, via Discord, via Twitter, uh, via the YouTube community page. I've got a fair few to get through on this edition of the show and I cannot wait. Uh, so really, really looking forward to that. And of course, uh, we'll be rounding up uh, some of the latest Arsenal news. We'll be touching on one story in particular uh, that has gained quite a bit of traction today. Uh, we'll also uh, be taking some of your questions from the live chat as well. So we'll pick a few out uh, from the live chat as well when we get to that point in the show. Uh, a big thank you to everybody for joining us as always. Uh, don't forget to leave a like on the video if you're watching us on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking you. Uh, help us as we continue to grow. And if you're listening on the audio platforms, well then leave us a review. You know the drill by now. It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, and we are live. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the show. Hope you're good. Hope you're well. Um, very windy here in North London uh, this afternoon. I came home to find a fence panel on the floor, broken in the alleyway, which is not what you want to see, especially when you hate doing DIY like me. Um, now I've got to deal with that. Great. Uh, not what I wanted to find when I came home, but hey, you can't have it all, can you? Um, really, really looking forward to this episode. I think the standard of questions in the mailbag episodes is at an all-time high. Uh, it was always good, but the questions are getting better and better. They're more thought-provoking than ever. Uh, and I'm really, really enjoying doing these shows. So, uh, as I mentioned to you guys uh, last time out, we're going to try and do this every single Wednesday. The only time that will change is if there's a game in and around that and we need to move the schedule about in order to facilitate that. But uh, generally speaking, I'm going to try and do one of these every single week because I'm really enjoying them. I hope you guys are uh, as well. Uh, of course, all your feedback is always taken on board um, and always noted. So, um, yeah, do let me know uh, what your thoughts are on it as well. Um, OK, I think um, before we get into the questions, we'll we'll jump on this story that's been doing the rounds today uh, with regards to a certain player that Arsenal have been linked with countless times over the last few years. Is now the time that this still is going to happen? Wilfred Zahar, the Crystal Palace man, as I say, he's been linked with Arsenal for years and years and years. Very famously, Unai Emery wanted him, didn't he? He wanted to bring him to Arsenal Football Club. He thought he was the solution. He was the one uh, that was going to help Unai Emery take Arsenal forwards. We all know that the deal couldn't be done at that point. Um, we understood at the time that Crystal Palace were looking for uh, quite a substantial fee, similar amount of money in total to what we ended up paying for Nicolas Pepe 
but Crystal Palace weren't willing to accept the structured deal in the way that Lille were and and in the way that that deal was eventually done involving Nicolas Pepe. So we hit a bit of a snag there. Um, a, a winger, a wide player, an exciting wide player. Um, Unai Emery definitely wanted one of those. He, as I say, pinpointed Wilfred Zaha as the one. Premier League experienced all of that. But for whatever reason, the deal didn't get done. As I say, I think it's because uh, we weren't willing to go as far as Crystal Palace wanted in terms of the upfront fee. Uh, Wilfred Zaha has kind of made noises in the past about leaving Crystal Palace. He's made no secret of the fact that he feels he deserves to move on. Um, But that hasn't materialised for him. And he's at a point in his career now uh, where he's had to kind of run down his contract because Crystal Palace haven't been willing to accept... Um, anything less than their valuation of him. And and you can understand that, right? Wilfred Zahar, for a long, long time, has single-handedly kept Crystal Palace in contention when it comes to to safety. You know, that's that's always been uh, what Zaha's brought to the table. Now, I don't think he's been as good this season. I've got to be honest. I feel like his level's dropped a little bit. But two, three years ago, you'd look at Wilfred Zahar and you'd say, well, he's one of the most effective players in the Premier League. And in terms of one individual man's importance to his side, there probably wasn't very many that you could put in that same bracket as the Ivorian. He is 30 years old now, which changes things a lot in terms of what people would be willing to pay for him. It changes things in terms of how worthwhile the bigger clubs would see this investment because of how long he's potentially got left. Um, But I guess Wilfred Zaha coming to the end of his contract at the end of this season is in a position where he'll be able to select uh, himself from those that are interested in him. And listen, even though he's 30 years old, you suspect there'd be a fair few clubs that will be looking at Wilfred Zaha in the Premier League, possibly abroad. (coughs) I beg your pardon. I beg my pardon. Can I even do that? I'm sorry. Excuse me. I beg your pardon. Yeah, I'll. I'm begging your pardon. You're begging my pardon. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, look, I think for Wilfred Zaha now, there's an opportunity for him to finally move on. You know, he is 30 years old. That doesn't work in his favour. But the fact that he is available on a free transfer definitely, definitely does. He'll want a hefty salary. No question about that. Uh, but there will be clubs looking at him and there will be clubs that feel that even though he's on the wrong side of 30, considering he'd be available on a free transfer, this could be a goer. So it's going to be really, really interesting, I think, to know um, or or to see where Wilfred Zaha is going to end up. Now, according to reports today, uh, Arsenal are one of the teams showing an interest in signing Wilfred Zaha on a free transfer this summer. And that's according to journalists Santi Auna and Sebastian Denis. This is a guy who's played in the Premier League for Crystal Palace 288 times. He's got 67 uh, goals and 42 assists in that time. So he's a a regular contributor uh, in terms of when it comes to goals and direct involvements in goals. Um, Very, very important player to Crystal Palace. But if I'm speaking from the kind of heart in terms of my opinion, um, no, actually not from the heart, more from the head. I think this ship has sailed. There was a time two, three years ago where if you told me that Wilfred Zaha was available and that, um, you know, Arsenal stood a realistic chance of getting him without being ripped off, I'd have been all over this. I really would have. I'd have been really up for for the idea of him coming to Arsenal Football Club. He's been a thorn in our side when we played Crystal Palace over the years. Um, Very direct, 
uh, very quick, very tricky, very, very effective at what he does. But for me, the ship has sailed. And I've said this for a little while now, and it's why I was really surprised, actually, to see these rumors come out again and, and to see this story surface again. Now, obviously, when you're talking about potentially signing someone for in excess of 50, 60, 70 million pounds, that's one thing. When you're talking about someone on a free transfer, that's a completely different matter. So a, a case in point would be, for example, when we signed Willian, right? I looked at Willian, I looked at his age, um, and if you'd have told me at that point that we were going to need to go and pay 30, 35, 40 million pounds to get him from Chelsea, I'd have said, no way, hands off, uh, or, or stay away more like. But because he was available on a free transfer, that did change things for me in the way that I looked at that transfer. Now, we all know that it didn't work out and we all know that actually any money Arsenal paid for Willian turned out to be a waste in the end. But the point I'm trying to make here is that what you've got to do is is be able to separate the two things here. So Wilfred Zahar doesn't feel like a long-term investment anymore and certainly doesn't feel worthy of us spending 40, 50, 60 million pounds. But Wilfred Zahar on a free transfer might not be the worst thing in the world. Although personally for me, the ship has sailed. And personally for me, I, I don't think this is one we should touch. I think he's an individual um, in the way that um, that he operates. I think he's a bit of a maverick. I don't think he'd fit into our system, into our style, into our way of playing very well. Um, and that so that puts me off. Um, but yeah, I mean, look... it how solid or, or how interested were Arsenal in the past? Because we know the only time the interest was really solid and really concrete was when Unai Emery was in charge. That was the only time that there was a serious conversation going on at Arsenal about the possibility of bringing Wilfred Zahar in. He'd been linked with the club loads of times because he's a Londoner and, you know, he, he was at Crystal Palace and one of the natural steps up in terms of London football would be to go from Crystal Palace to Arsenal or to Spurs or or to Chelsea, and, and so those links were always there, and they were always made, but if I'm honest, I just, yeah, I just think the ship has sailed on this one, I think that once upon a time, I'd have been all over this, and on a free transfer, I can understand why some people would be interested, but to me, I think we've moved past that in our development, and we've moved past uh, Wilfred Zahar as an idea now, so not for me, move on from that, but it's interesting that these links have come up again, um, this could be Wilfred Zaha's people uh, putting out stories, uh, wanting to inform the media, inform the press. Often players, when they're running down their contracts, do that. And they do that because they want those that are maybe considering entering the race to sign them to know that there are other clubs looking or to believe that there are other clubs looking and other clubs circling. Often I talk about this on the show. You would have heard this if you're a regular listener before. But we know that players, when they're on a free transfer can demand significant signing on fees. We know that the signing on fee can be what tempts them to join one club or another. So, you know, that will be something that Wilfred Zaha's people will be working towards. Why this club? Why that club? What do those clubs have to offer that some of the others that will be in the mix come the summer won't or can't? And and that's where it all gets a little bit complicated. And that's where I guess the kind of tactics of uh, you know, leaking stories to the media, putting narratives out there, all come into play here. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see where Wilfred Zaha links up. Um, 
Sko says in the chat, the link is simply there, most likely because we had an interest in the past and he happens to be available on a free. Means zilch as far as whether Arteta and Edu are interested. Just speculation for clicks. Yeah, look, as I say, I, I think the ship has sailed. I think we've moved past this one. Uh, but I did think it was interesting that it was brought up because on the post uh, from which I read it, there was a, a real mixed bag of views uh, in the comments section. There were Arsenal fans who said, yep, go out and do this. That'll be great business. It'd be great backup uh, for some of our wide players. And on a free transfer, it's a no-brainer. There were others that said, no, don't like his attitude. Think we've moved past Wilfred Zaha. Don't need to go back. Don't need to do that. It would upset the harmony within the changing room. And the other thing is, at 30 years old, is Wilfred Zaha going to go somewhere where he's not going to play? Because he wouldn't play at Arsenal. He wouldn't start at Arsenal. You know, he, he wouldn't be ahead of Saka or Martinelli um, or Leandro Trossard. You know, he wouldn't step ahead of those players, in my opinion. But it depends where Wilfred Zaha is at in terms of his headspace. Is he at the point now where he goes, I haven't won anything I want to go somewhere where I'm going to win anything or, or win something, even if it means I'm a bit of a bit part player. Or is he going to be of the view that I'm 30 years old, I need to play week in, week out because I'm running out of time. And it's mad to think that at 30 years old, you're you're on the decline in the eyes of football fans and football clubs. I mean, I'm 32. I'm going to be 33 this summer. I mean, what does that say about me? I must be finished. <laughs> um Let's get some of your uh, takes on this and then we'll move on uh, to the questions that you guys have been sending in over the last uh, 24 hours or so. Um, what have we got here? What have we got here? Um, Sko says, save that salary budget for a centre-back slash right-back competition for Saliba and White or a right-winger to compete with Saka. Yep, I agree. There are better uses uh, of that money. Uh, Derek, uh, who says, g'day, brother. Nope, don't want Zaha. Um, Richie says he's not having a great season and we've got better squad players I agree with that um, Wandering Minstrel says uh, it would be a good move for him if he comes he'd be a great fit but age could work against him uh, Hawkind says get him to the carpet especially on a freebie uh, Aidan Wheeler says this season uh, Trossard has played better than Zaha wouldn't it not be better to focus in midfield like on a McAllister or a Rice I agree that the midfield is certainly more of a pressing need uh, than um, than Wilfred Zaha. Uh, Adam Daniel says Zaha is still putting in decent numbers compared to Willian, especially on a free. Yeah, look, the Willian example was not, look, that means that every free transfer that we do is going to be shit going forward. That wasn't the point I was trying to make. What I was trying to highlight is that my outlook on whether that was a, a worthwhile gamble to take was very different when we were talking about a 30 40 million pound transfer in comparison to a free transfer obviously it's not free because you've got to pay these players wages you probably do have to give them a signing on fee as i mentioned and the chances are that because they're moving on a free they're going to cost um a little bit more in terms of the salary and and over the course of the contract you're going to spend a fair amount of money anyway but the point i was trying to make was that you know, if you if you knocked on my door tomorrow, if I was in charge of Arsenal heading up the transfer strategy and I got a phone call from Wilfred Zaha's agent and he said to me, look, we want to get Wilf out. We want to get him over to you. He loves your club. He'd, lo he'd love to join you. He'd love to play for you guys. Um, we think it's going to take £30 million to get him out of Crystal Palace. I'd put the phone down. But if he called me up and he said, Wilfred Zaha really likes your club, has done for a long time, has a long-standing interest in coming to play for you. 
and we'd love to bring him over there. His contract runs out in the summer. It's a free transfer. I'd at least entertain the conversation. That's kind of the point I'm making here. I think when I think about it and the more I process it and the more I chat about it, the more I talk myself into the the, the headspace of, no, we don't really need this now. This is not what we need. And although it wouldn't be a, a massive resource drain in terms of what we can spend on transfers, it would be a resource drain in terms of the, the salary that we're going to pay him. And I think there are better uses of the, what, £100,000 a week that Wilfred Zahar is going to want uh, at minimum wherever he goes. I mean, he's not going to take less money than Eddie Nketiah, is he? Let's let's be honest about that. So, you know, those are the things that you have to think of. And um, and so in conclusion, I think this is one we should stay away from. But I thought it was interesting that these links have uh, have come to the fore once again. Um, right, let's take a few of your questions and let's start doing that. Um, let's... Uh, Break it down uh, one second. Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Um, they're all saved on my phone. Bear with me a second. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, right. So, members mailbag. Let's open the Discord server. Some great questions in here. So, this first one comes from Seb and he says, Which, if any, of our first 11 do you think we can improve on? And who would you get in for that position? Now, when I read this question, I spent a lot of time thinking about this one. This, this I have to say, like, there's some really great questions here. And there are a lot of them that had me thinking and had me sort of having to make notes in terms of trying to get to my answer as to where I want to be and where I want to land. Um, but this one from Seb, I think this one is probably the one I spent the most time thinking about. So let me just quickly repeat the question for the benefit of those of you uh, listening. Which, if any, of our first 11 do you think we can improve on and who would you get in for that position? Fantastic question. Really, really good. So let me let me make it clear that in terms of our best 11 right now, when everybody's fit and available, so I'm talking Ramsdale, White, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Partey, Xhaka, Odegaard, Martinelli, Saka, Jesus. I'm completely satisfied with that 11. I think there's a great chemistry there. I think there's a great balance there. And I think when we play with that team, I feel really, really confident against anybody. The problem comes where we don't have that entire 11 available and we need to plug and play in a couple of positions. It doesn't quite have the same effect and we are weaker as a consequence of it. But despite me saying I'm happy with that starting 11, you can always improve. You can always do better. You can always, um, you know, you can always improve your team and you can always build and you can always make things better. So there are a couple of positions that jumped out to me. The first one uh, that jumped out to me was, um, was left back. And this is probably partly because I watched... Um, Alexander Zinchenko, I think, defend really poorly in the lead up to Liverpool's equalising goal. So Zinchenko is the first one that comes to mind. But I also recognise that the reason Zinchenko is in the side is not because he's the best left back in the world. He might not even be the best left back at the club. It's because he plays a very specific role that tactically works really, really well in Mikel Arteta's eyes. So Zinchenko is the one that jumps out to me because I think at some point, if we want to become, you know, a really, really top tier team, and I'm talking about a generational team, a team that can go on, for example, and win the Champions League and a team that can win the Premier League for more than just a season, you know, to go on and, and do it 
over and over again and, and to dominate, for example, in the way that Manchester City do or have, I think we will need to at some point have a specialist left back because defensively against the very best, we're just that little bit short. So Zinchenko would be the first bit I'd look at. The next bit I'd look at is Granit Xhaka. Now, I love Granit Xhaka. You guys know that. I adore the player. I think he gets a rough ride. I defended him after the Crystal Palace incident. I defended him uh, last season when some of his performances were criticised. And I think finally, the wider Arsenal population has at least, even if you don't think he's the best player and you don't feel like he's a long-term solution, has at least accepted and acknowledged that he does bring some value to this team and that he does give us something that unfortunately we don't have in the shape of other midfielders. And again, this is one where it's very system-specific. So Granit Xhaka, for me, is so good this season or has been so good this season because the role that he's being asked to do I think suits him perfectly and what you see in Granit Xhaka is a bit of versatility Zinchenko I've talked about stepping into midfield not always um, being as solid defensively as we'd like him to be not always um, you know in the right positions but Granit Xhaka being left-footed and and having a decent understanding of defending, like I know in the past he's not looked good as a defensive midfielder, but that was because he maybe wasn't quick enough across the ground. Maybe he was exposed in terms of the way the rest of the team set up. It wasn't because he didn't know in his head and in his brain and in his mind what he needed to do. I would also argue that Mikel Arteta has taken a lot of these players forward tactically. And Granit Xhaka is one of them. He's one of the ones that you can really see it in him. Xhaka will be the first to admit that. But I think what Xhaka does by dropping into that left-back position sometimes to help Gabriel when that position is vacated by Zinchenko is um, is invaluable. I think his understanding of the areas he needs to attack now in order to either create space for the likes of Martinelli and Jesus, you know, by going into that inside space or by going on the outside of Martinelli to allow him to come in or getting into positions himself to score goals is is brilliant and I think that is a sign of his tactical development and evolution as a player but then if you take Granit Xhaka out of there there's there's loads of better midfielders that you can put in there but would they fit into the system as well and would they do all of the things that Mikel Arteta wants him to do in order to facilitate Zinchenko being at left back and Martinelli playing the way that he does on the left wing name in the chat put it down in the comments Xhaka is a facilitator. That's right. That's what Xhaka is in this team. Um, I'd argue, actually, that he's probably more than just the facilitator, but that is something that he does and something that he really, really brings to the table. So, yeah, um, I, I really like him, but I do accept and acknowledge that there are better number eights. If you want to put him in that, uh, you know, singular box, if you want to name him as, you know, one position, you know, nowadays we talk about 10s, we talk about 8s, we talk about 6s. If you're going to name Granit Xhaka or put him into the category of an 8, then there are better 8s. Jude Bellingham is a better 8. Declan Rice, you could argue, is is as good as or not or, or better 8. I'm not 100% sure that Declan Rice is much better than Granit Xhaka. Certainly not as far ahead or, or far clear as, as some would have you believe. Um, but Declan Rice could do that job as well. So... I think the two positions I'm looking at, I couldn't narrow this down to one. I found it really hard. But in terms of the two positions, I'm going to say left back and I'm going to say uh, central midfield, the left side uh, of our um, 
our midfield three. That's that's where I'd be looking at next. Um, I've mentioned Bellingham. I'd love to get him, but I don't think we will. I think the price would be too high. Moises Caicedo is another one I'd like to see come in. Uh, Declan Rice, I'd like to see come in too. When it comes to left backs, I'm not as clued up. I'm not as on the ball in terms of being able to give you names right now. Um, but I think Kieran Tierney as a specialist left back is better than Zinchenko in that he's a better defender. He's got that energy to get up and down the line. Obviously, injuries have been an issue for him in recent years. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? But I think those are the two positions for me that I um, I would look at and think, yeah, we could do better. Maybe, and this was another one that almost crept into my thinking, and then I had to tell myself off and say, no, 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 no. What are you on about, Harry? But Gabriel Jesus came to mind as well. Not because he doesn't bring loads to the team. He absolutely does. But just because I don't think he scores, generally speaking... I know he scored in the last couple of games, but gen generally speaking, I don't think he scores enough goals. And if you could go and get a centre forward who was going to guarantee you 30 a season, I think that would be an upgrade in some ways. But then does that take away from the team? Does that take away from Saka and Martinelli and Odegaard? Maybe it does. So you'd have to think long and hard about that one. But yeah, um, that's where I'm at on that. Great question, mate. Thank you uh, so, so much. Really enjoyed um, sort of thinking that one through. And then in the end, um, answering it as well. Uh, right. Uh, what have we got here? Let's take this one from Richie. Really good question. Arteta went for a low-level block to see out the Liverpool game. Do you think it would have been a better idea to go for a mid-level block with adding, say, Jorginho, for example, for an attacking player? So what Richie's getting at here is that he felt that Arsenal sat too deep against Liverpool and almost invited on the pressure and therefore couldn't get a grasp on the game, couldn't get control of possession and were the Gunners better off playing with a slightly higher block um, and uh, and bringing on, for example, someone like Jorginho. So we'll start off with the Jorginho point. I think that Mikel Arteta would have looked at that game, how frantic it was, how much of it was played on the transition and thought that Jorginho would be bypassed. And I, and I probably tend to agree with that. We've talked a lot about Jorginho. We talked a lot about him when he signed, what his limitations are, why, you know, some people weren't happy with the deal or, or felt like it was a bad move. I can understand all of that. I get where those people were coming from. And, and one of the things I always said and accepted, despite me sort of defending the club in their sort of decision to go out and do this because the, the price was right, um, you know, it was an upgrade on, on Elneny, in my opinion, but also we just lost Elneny for the season. So we needed to do something there. I always accepted, though, having said all of that, that mobility was probably where Jorginho lacks. And I don't think Anfield is the place that you want to be throwing him into. So I wouldn't have brought Jorginho on personally. Could Arsenal have squeezed slightly higher up the pitch? Probably. Would they have been better off if they did that? Maybe. But this all goes back to what I've said to you before. I don't think with Rob Holding in the heart of the defence and in William Saliba's absence, Arsenal have the confidence to squeeze the line that little bit higher up the pitch. I think it's riskier when you don't have Saliba in the side. And so I can understand why Arsenal didn't do that. I think a combination of things played a part here. The atmosphere, uh, the nervousness definitely kicked in at that point. Arsenal were rocked at certain points in that game. And I think Liverpool deserve credit for sort of feeding on that energy and pinning us back in the way that they did. So I don't think 
the low block was necessarily deliberate. I think it was something that we were forced into and we just couldn't get out of it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill be honest with you so um you know maybe we could have been a little bit more composed on the ball and we could have played our game a little bit more and and if we'd have managed to do that we'd have settled things down a little bit we'd have taken the sting out of the crowd and out of liverpool as a result i agree with all of that i just think that I'm not like I'm not convinced that Mikel Arteta set out to play with such a low block. I think that was something Arsenal felt they were forced into and felt that they couldn't change rather than it being something that they just didn't want to change. So that's that's my uh, view on that. But another really, really good question, mate. Thank you uh, so, so much. Uh, let me take uh, this one uh, from Crusader. Thoughts on how our home game against the Chelsea... Sorry, let me start reading this again. It's from Crusader. Thoughts on how our home game against Chelsea being moved will have a say in the title race. So we briefly touched on this on yesterday's show because, of course, the news had broken of the uh, schedule change just before we went live. I mean, it does give us a few more days to recover from Manchester City, which is a positive, but then it gives us less time to recover between that game and then the trip to Newcastle at the weekend. What we've what has happened by the game moving to a Tuesday is it's kind of leveled it out. So we play on the Wednesday, then we don't play again until the Tuesday. So we've got just under a week there. And then we play from we don't play after the Tuesday until the Sunday. So we've got slightly less than a week again there. So what it's done is it's moved the Chelsea game to like almost right bang in the middle between City and Newcastle which I guess helps us in terms of recovery time. But, you know, is it something that is really significant in the title race? I don't think it is. I don't think it makes that much difference. You know, I think it depends on the results. If you go to City and um, and you get the result that you want, then you come away from that on a, on a high and on a buzz and you don't really mind that you've got a game a few days later. If you go and drop points at City... And then you've got to sit and mull over what happened and you've got time to overthink before you play your next game, which could prove crucial and significant. Then I think that can have a negative effect as well. So I don't think that this really makes too much difference for us. I think I'm slightly leaning towards the it's better for us side than it's a, a negative. But I also have a lot of sympathy for the fans that have been impacted by this. I mentioned it yesterday. I know of people that have... Uh, you know, booked flights to come from abroad and now have to change those. I know people that bought tickets for this match who will no longer be able to attend it because they're now going to be away as it's fallen uh, a little bit later on. So I think there's so much to factor in here. But in terms of its impact on the football team, putting the fan issues, uh, which are obviously important, but putting those to one side for a minute, I think that, you know, it's it's a slightly more positive than it is negative, but I don't think it's decisive either way. Um, it is is how I'd kind of sum that up, um, guys. Uh, I will come to the chat for some questions a little bit later on as well. So just hold fire on them uh, so that they don't get lost in the chat. If I could just ask you quickly, if you haven't done so already, please do 
uh, leave a review uh, if you're listening on audio, if you're watching us on YouTube, then please do uh, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel. Uh, you know the drill by now. Uh, and I just want to quickly bring you guys a message from our sponsors over at NordVPN. NordVPN, uh, kindly sponsoring the Chronicles of Aguna podcast at the moment. We thank them uh, for their incredible support. Um, it really does mean the world to me. And um, if you are interested in um, in getting... Uh, involved with NordVPN. It's something that I'm sure uh, you will enjoy the benefits uh, that come with it. So NordVPN, uh, one of Times 2022's best inventions. It was named uh, as a, a really cracking piece of software. It costs the price of a cup of coffee per month. Now, I don't know about you, but I spend an absolute fortune on cups of coffee. Uh, so it's certainly an amount of money that I'm willing to part with as long as the benefits are worthwhile. And I think when you hear them, you'll agree that they absolutely are. So NordVPN, VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which means that when you log onto the internet, you are logged in via an additional layer of security. That's what NordVPN gives you. So it protects your data wherever you are in the world. And if you're someone that uses public Wi-Fi a lot, given the level of cybercrime around at the moment, that can be very, very helpful. It also allows you uh, to watch uh, sporting events, TV shows and movies that are not normally available in your region. It allows you to uh, sign up to subscriptions that are not available in your region, perhaps even get something cheaper. Their subscriptions have different prices in different countries. So you'll be able to change your location and access the best deal around. Equally, uh, you can, of course, book flights uh, from alternative destinations without even leaving from your sofa by changing your virtual private location. And that is another one of the fantastic benefits that you can get from signing up to NordVPN. Now, to put that in layman's terms, as I always say, um, what does that mean for somebody like me? So I can access sporting events, TV shows, movies that aren't available in the UK by signing in via another location through NordVPN. So I could set my location as being in the US and that will allow me to access when I log into Netflix the US inventory of shows, films, uh, programs, etc. If I wanted to watch Greek football, which is something I quite like to do from time to time, I can't access those from the UK because they are geo-blocked. So how do I do it? I change my virtual location via NordVPN and it thinks that I'm in that country and I'm then able to access that content. So those are just a few of the benefits uh, that you can get from NordVPN. And if you sign up uh, via our uh, link, which is in the description, it's it's uh, www.nordvpn.com forward slash Chronicles AFC. As I say, the link is in the description. You'll be able to get a huge discount on your plan as well as four additional months for free. So do check it out. Sign up via our discount code. And, uh, and I'm sure you'll enjoy the benefits. If anyone's got any questions on it, feel free uh, to drop me a message. No problem at all. I know a few of you have signed up already and uh, are really enjoying it. So uh, let me know. And I think this deal has only got a few more days to run. So you'll want to uh, be across this one um, pretty soon if it's something that does interest you. But NordVPN, we thank them for their kind sponsorship of the show. Okay, let's get back to some of the questions. Uh, what have we got here? Let's continue through uh, our Discord server uh, where the majority of the questions have come through this time around, which is great to see. Uh, Peeny Ween says, if the current team never wins a trophy, can any of those players still go down as club legends? 
difficult, isn't it? That this is a difficult one. This is another one that that caught me out and and got me thinking uh, for a long, long time. I think the term legend, you can define that in different ways. And I think different people define what an Arsenal legend is in different ways. So for me, an Arsenal legend is someone who's left a lasting legacy on the football club. Now, there are players that have left lasting legacies or longer lasting legacies than players that have won loads of trophies. So it isn't just about trophies for me. So I'll give you an example of that, right? I think that, you know, somebody like, I don't know, do I want to put him in legendary status? I'm thinking very carefully about what I say here. I think that there have been players over the years at Arsenal Football Club that have left an impact and and have, you know, really sort of got my buy-in as a fan, but haven't necessarily been the most successful. So somebody like Alexis Sanchez, I think, is a really good example of this, right? Where when he came, he was at the absolute elite level. But he never won as much as certain other players that on an individual level weren't at that point, but obviously were part of a greater collective. You know, and what you get with that is is you get this grey area. And some people will refer to those players as cult heroes because they don't have the trophies, for example. But others, um, you know, won't look at players that haven't won anything as legends and, and refuse to accept that they could be legends. There's a few great examples coming through in the chat. Look, Sko says, Matt Letissier at Southampton. Didn't win anything really. Uh, well, didn't win anything at all with Southampton, but will go down as a Southampton legend. But is that different, Sko? Because Southampton aren't used to winning trophies. There isn't a long list of Southampton players that have won multiple trophies for you to hold up against Matt Letizia to almost discredit his legendary status. Paolo Di Canio, West Ham, another example. Ginola at Newcastle, uh, Sko's putting these in. Another great one, Stan the Man is putting Harry Kane down. Harry Kane, he says, is considered a club legend and he's won zero for his club and his country. Harry Kane, though, is Tottenham's greatest ever goal scorer, highest ever goal scorer. So that, I think, has cemented his place in the legend conversation. But he's a really good example of someone whose level is so high, yet because he didn't win anything or because the collective wasn't good enough, he won't always get the praise and the credit. At Arsenal, I think it's different. And I think this is a, a different conversation. So... You know, take, for example, Bukayo Saka, right? He's on the trajectory and on the pathway to becoming an Arsenal legend. So is Gabriel Martinelli. So is Martin Odegaard. So is Ben White. So is Aaron Ramsdale. So is Gabriel at the back. So is William Saliba. All of these guys are on the pathway to potentially becoming Arsenal legends. But if they fail to win the Premier League title, for example, this season, and then never go on to win anything of any significance at Arsenal Football Club during their time here, how can you then put them in the same bracket as Tony Adams and Sol Campbell and Patrick Vieira and Gilberto Silva and Robert Pires and Thierry Henry, etc., etc.? They will always be shot down because of that reason, because they wouldn't stack up to the players that did win things with Arsenal. So... I think you either have to achieve incredible things on an individual level, like Harry Kane has at Tottenham, becoming their all-time greatest goalscorer, or you have to be part of a, a collective that wins. And so I think it's way too early to say that any of these Arsenal players 
wearing the red and white this season are Arsenal legends. But there's certainly a few in the making. And if all goes well and if things go right, we could be talking about a group of legends all in this team. We could be talking about this team as a legendary team in the same way that we talk about the Invincibles or the 97-98 double winning side. I could name you those teams off the top of my head because they are legendary teams. This could be one of those. But I think until they go out and and sort of really make their mark in the club's history books, I think it's difficult to say right now that they're legends. As I say, I think they're on the way to becoming legends, but they're not quite there just yet uh, for me. That's my uh, take on that one anyway. Uh, let's take this one uh, from um, Moss. Quite a long one from Moss. Uh, let me see uh, what he's saying. He says... Um, He's getting lots of opposing views on the Balogun situation. Now, we talked about Balogun at length on yesterday's episode. Um, Moss says he's watched his Arsenal videos and interviews and he is sold. He says he watches his matches and he's great. He says um, he says um, he thinks we have another year and an option on his contract. So Moss, to be clear, his contract doesn't run out until 2025. So we've got a couple more years on that. Um Moss is asking, basically, I'm, I'm sort of trying to get through the question to, to work out which part you want me to answer. He says, do you just kind of take £40 million now or do you think we could make much more than £50 million? Um, what, what do I think here? I think a lot of this depends on following Balogun as well. We discussed this at length yesterday, so I, I'd encourage you, if you haven't seen or heard yesterday's show, go go back and check it out um, so that I'm not repeating myself Um you know, in terms of what we spoke about yesterday. But a lot of this depends on Balogun as well. It isn't just down to us. You know, he might be adamant that he wants to move on. He might be adamant that he wants to play elsewhere. And he might be adamant that regardless of what he's going to be told or sold by Arsenal Football Club, that he's probably not going to get the chances that he feels he deserves at this point. I think when you get to this point in your career where you've gone out on loan, you've performed, You've done your bit. You've done your job. You then go back to your parent club with a bit of power. You know, you can say, well, hold on a minute, boss. I've proven myself now. Yes, it's different here and I have to prove myself perhaps again here. But I'm someone now. I wasn't someone 12 months ago. With all due respect, I wasn't the same person 12, 18 months ago. Now I am, you know, a, a an accomplished striker who's got a great season in one of Europe's top five leagues in the bag. So either guarantee me that I'm going to play or I want to go. And if that's the kind of, you know, angle that Balogun comes at or comes from uh, during this summer when he returns to Arsenal Football Club, then then maybe you are in a position where you go, OK, £40 million offer on the table, we'll take it. So it, it, it works it works both ways here. If if Balogun is adamant that he wants to go and a re- Arsenal feel that they've received a reasonable offer, then accept it now. Why hold the kid back? You know, I, I'm very sure that Mikel Arteta rates Eddie Nketiah a, a bit more than maybe you or I do and that he is very much his man. And so I'm not convinced that Mikel's just going to go, sorry, Eddie, Balogun's had a great season out on loan. You are now the third choice striker. Um... And, and, and Balogun walks into your position. 
if he was to do that, then Balogun would probably feel like he'd get enough game time, you know, with our European commitments, the domestic cups, etc., to justify at least holding on at Arsenal for another season, for another year. You know, I'm not saying it's impossible that Mikel Arteta comes to that kind of decision or, or thinks that would be the right thing to do. But I would be surprised if Eddie and Ketty are having come in and and helped out when we needed him this season was sort of kicked to the curb in favour of Balogun. Doesn't mean it's necessarily the right decision, but I do get this feeling with Mikel that if you show him loyalty, he will show it to you as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, we'll have to see. But as for this whole thing of like, do we hold on to him a bit longer and then accept, or, or, you know, let me rephrase that. Do we hold on to him longer with a view to getting more money in the future? Well, there's no guarantee that that money's ever going to be there in the future. And there are a lot of examples of that in, in recent years. Now, a great example of this is what we saw happen with, with Joe Willock, Right, Joe Willock went out on loan to Newcastle, did really, really well, scored goals, made an impact. He was adored by the Newcastle faithful. And then the time came where we had to make a decision. And there was an offer on the table for Joe Willock that Arsenal looked at and went, that is too good to refuse. And I remember saying on this podcast at the time that we had to accept it because if Joe Willock came back, didn't play very much, all of a sudden his stock would tumble and it would crash really quickly. And all of a sudden you'd have gone from a £30 million player to a £10 million player. And very quickly, it can get even worse than that. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot to consider here. Um, yeah, there's there's loads to continue here. So, yeah, you've got, to, um, you've got to sort of try and look at it from both angles as well because it's partly on the player as well. Um, it's partly on... Um, what he wants to do he's got a say in his future and I think when you've gone out and you've done as well as he has on loan then you have that right don't you um you have that right to be able to 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 control your own destiny and to to negotiate he probably wouldn't have been able to or certainly wouldn't have been able to do that a year ago and and so that's why this loan spell has benefited Arsenal because his value has gone up but it also benefits following Balogun in the position from which he will come into these talks with because there will be talks in the summer. He'll want to know what the next steps are. He'll want to know where he's headed. Okay, let's take this one from Wesbird and then we're going to take a few from the comments section. So start getting them in. If you've got any questions, uh, please do uh, put them in the chat. Uh, Wesbird says, I'm of the opinion that we are well ahead of schedule as to where we are as a club and team. And wherever we finish this season, I think we've had a phenomenal one. And I'm so proud of the squad and excited to see where Arteta can take us from here. I've taken it one game at a time. I've not dared to dream. And thus far, it's working perfectly. But what is your expectation and thoughts, please, Harry, on the team, its progress, and how the fans may react if we don't go on to win the league title this season? So that's a another meaty question there. Um, I'm also of the opinion that Arsenal are ahead of schedule. I'm also of the opinion that Arsenal have surpassed everybody's expectations of them, including their own, going into the season. And... And I believe that whatever happens from here on in, to be in the last uh, sort of straight leading the title race, let's let's put that that right. You know, people seem to be talking over the last few days as if we're not anymore, but we are leading the title race. That in itself is a sign of the progress that we've made. We could go on, as I said yesterday, to achieve 90 plus points and still not win the league. And that would be heartbreaking. But 
you you only need to look at the points tally we got last season and compare the two to know that we have taken a massive, massive step forward. And, you know, nobody sits there and says that that Liverpool team under Jurgen Klopp were crap because they only won the league once out of, what was it, four seasons, despite them being incredibly um, entertaining, ruthless and, and super consistent over the course of those seasons. People don't talk about Liverpool being bad. They talk about how great Manchester City were. And let's not forget that we are competing with that same team, only with a striker now that scores 45 goals a season, and we're not even uh, we're not even near the end of the season. He's got plenty more games. He he could get to 60 plus, Erling Haaland, and that wouldn't be outrageous. He's that damn good, and there's that many games still to go. So, you know, that's how you got to look at this. You know, if we do fall short, it will be because we came up against an absolute juggernaut. We've had to be near enough perfect to be in this position that we're in this season and and that to be able to go from the inconsistencies we suffered from last season to that in the space of 12 months is huge that's that's massive massive progress and a huge step in the right direction so we've got to be proud and we've got to be pleased or, or satisfied with the progress whatever happens but obviously if you don't go on and win a title from this position there is going to be an element of disappointment what needs to happen though as far as I'm concerned is we need to mourn, if you like. We need to, um, you know, process that and we can vent and we can rant and we can do whatever we need to do or we feel we need to do to get over it if that happens, if the worst case happens. But then once we get beyond that and we get into the summer and we're hearing about transfers and we're looking ahead to the new season, then we need to kick back into the positivity and then we need to recognise the progress, how well things have gone and and the fact that the most exciting thing, as I always say about this project, is that it feels like it hasn't even gone bang yet. That there's still so much to come from this young group of players that are developing and improving and learning all the time. And the same can be said of the manager. Mikel Arteta is a far better manager this time around than he was the last season or the season before that. And he'll only become a better manager for his experiences going forward into the next season as well. So the fact that this is on an upward trajectory should give everybody encouragement. But I, I'm not going to sit here and say that if we don't win the title, everybody should shut up and, and just and just be happy and all smiles because we're emotionally invested. There is going to be that bit of disappointment. Some people are better at, um, at sort of getting through that disappointment. Some people prefer to look at the positives. Other people feel they need to vent to get it out of their system and before they can eventually move on from it. People deal with that stuff in different ways. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see. But, yeah, the season's been a good one. Whatever happens, I agree with that. And hopefully when the dust settles, if we do go on to miss out, um, even the people that maybe struggle to see it now um, will be able to see it then. But, yeah, really, really pleased with the season so far. I'm really pleased with um, where we find ourselves at present. Okay. Let's take a couple um, of your questions from the chat. Let's take this one from Skipster. Would you have bought Kieran Tierney at left back and pushed Zinchenko further upfield for a 4-4-2 against Liverpool at 2-1? Um, possibly. I, I did think that I would have rather bought Tierney on when he bought Kivior on. But that was, in my mind, it was to put Tierney as a left centre-back and have Zinchenko playing as like a fifth defender when we were out of possession. But... I th I, that's kind of what I was thinking at the time. But then when I looked at the way Zinchenko defended Liverpool's second goal, I saw really tired legs. And I wondered if he was just at a point where he needed to be taken off. You know, the the, 
the medical staff on the side will have all the stats to hand they'll know uh, far better than we do about that but yeah I, I probably would have bought Kieran Tierney on earlier than Mikel Arteta did um, so that was one of my criticisms of the boss when we reviewed the game um, but yeah yeah I think I think it's easy to say those things isn't it in in hindsight uh, Jared says Harry if Pep decides to sell Cancelo would you take him if the price is right for sure because I think he's really good at playing um, the fullback role that Mikel Arteta asks his fullbacks to play. Um, why? Because it's very similar to the one that Pep Guardiola's played. João Cancelo and him had a falling out, but that doesn't take away from what a good player Cancelo is. And not only is he brilliant, he can play on either side as well, which is which is really rare and, and really fantastic. Uh, Salahuddin says, thoughts on Manchester City's form in the Champions League. Is this as a result of player management or just having a deep squad? I think it's a lot of things. You know, they've got a lot of quality. They've got a lot of depth. They've got a lot of experience. They've got a lot of know-how. They've got probably the world's best manager. And, um, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, that's... It, I, I think it's no coincidence that Manchester City are clicking now. And, and it does scare me. Watching them last night scared the shit out of me. I was looking at them and, and how they had Bayern under pressure. And I know some of the goals were gifted to them. And, you know, that... That is undeniable, but they still got to take those chances. And my God, they were emphatic when those opportunities came along and they were clinical and they were all of the above. And I just, yeah, it did scare me a little bit. Um, but you just got to kind of hope that we can do our job. You know, if Manchester City slip up along the way, great, it helps. Um, but just focus on us, just focus on ourselves. Remember my five rules to coping with the title race. I think it was rule number two. Don't obsess with Manchester City's results. And as O'Malley says in the chat, the buying game was a lot closer than the scoreline. I agree with that. I think you have to give, by, uh, I beg your pardon, Man City credit because of how ruthless they were. Full credit to them for that. But I agree with you that the game was a lot closer than the scoreline suggested. I think that's that's a fair assessment. I thought Bayern had a few moments. Uh, they forced a couple of good saves out of Edison. Uh, Leroy Sane forced a couple. Um, and I, And I thought that, you know, had Bayern been a bit more ruthless and a little bit more composed at the back, it, it could have been a scoreline that meant the tie was very much still alive going into the second leg. At this point, I think it's dead. And and that's uh, that's because City were ruthless and, and Bayern weren't at both ends of the pitch. And, and that's that's that. Um, right. I think I'm going to leave it there. Uh, thank you all so, so much. Thank you for the excellent questions. Um Always a pleasure sort of reading them and then and then getting to answer them uh, on the show. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Uh, just a quick one. If you could leave a like on the video, if you're watching us on YouTube, there's a fair few of you with us. We've only got 64 likes on the board. We should be over 100 at the very, very least. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new. And if you're listening on audio, well, then please do leave us a review. It really, really does help. Um, thank you, uh, as always. Uh, we're going to be back tomorrow with another episode. We're going to begin our build-up to the weekend's big game. A trip to West Ham United is on the horizon. Can the Gunners go there and get back to winning ways? It feels like we really, really need to, doesn't it? Games against West Ham and Southampton to come before that huge clash with Manchester City, which is just around the corner. Uh, lots still to play for. Uh, lots of twists and turns to come, I'm sure. And uh, we'll begin, as I say, our build up to that one from tomorrow. And um, yeah, it will be upon us before you know it. I'll catch you all soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, all the best. Goodbye.